Desire is such a powerful, powerful thing. Okay. And I wasn't, a, at the point when I started, I wasn't a great speaker. I wasn't, I just desired it. So all that time I heard Fela and all of that. I was a very quiet person, but something on the inside of me always got excited when I heard people speak and speak well. I believe that desire is a seed of greatness. It's, 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 a, it's, it's an indicator of what the future holds, right? Of possibilities. And that's really what, what it was for me. I wasn't a phenomenal or a great speaker. The more I did, the better I got at it. My father told me life is not a bit This is Origins Africa podcast, where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true. Asking the what, the when, the how, and the why. I'm Oshaye, and on this episode, we meet Bankoli Williams, the mind surgeon, founder and principal consultant at LYD Consulting, and founder of a youth entrepreneurship scheme called Leave Your Dreams Africa. This is the first of a two-part series, and here you hear Bankoli talk about his early childhood fascinations and light bulb moments that shaped who he's become today. He'll talk about leaving the rap group that later evolved into rooftop MCs, starting his career in Guarantee Trust Bank, his early embarrassing moments as a speaker, as well as the events that led him to lean himself off in the middle of the worst economic recession the banking sector has faced. My conversation with Bankale was one of those conversations you wish could go on for hours. We spoke for 90 minutes and it looked like we hadn't even scratched the surface. So many questions to ask, so many stories to be told, but so little time. Who's Bankale Williams, you might ask? Today, Bankale wears many hats and he explained it best. I'm a management consultant, uh, so I, I run a management consulting practice called LYD Consulting. We're primarily set up to help employees of corporate institutions get great work done in less time so they can surpass the financial targets of their employers. I'm also uh, the founder of Live Your Dreams Africa Foundation, right? Okay. Um, LYDA, right? And we're, we're set up to solve the problems of unemployment and underemployment across Africa. Uh, we're very passionate about empowering the youth with technical and business skills so they can create businesses in the areas of their passion to bring about some measure of economic development to the African continent. Um, I am also a therapist. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, I am very big on the mind. I'm obsessed on I'm very obsessed on mind. So <laughs> a number of people call me a mind surgeon, and that's because from the interactions that people have with me, you know, they are able to deal with, you know mental blocks, you know, strongholds, things that hold them from progressing in different areas of their lives. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I recognize that the mind is such an incredible asset that God has given us that can produce really, really astounding results if we understand how it works. So I am very big on throwing lights on, on this amazing assets and how people can maximize it. And that is why I had planned this episode to be the last for the year, actually in hopes that from this episode, we would all go into the new year with new perspectives and insights to help us live our dreams. But how did it all start for Bankoli Williams? As a mind surgeon, the journey began from his early childhood fascinations. I've always been fascinated by human behavior, right? I noticed that from when I was really young. I asked the questions that every other person wouldn't want to ask, you know, why do human beings act the way they do? Why, why will Mr. A act like this and Mr. B, faced with the same, you know, circumstance or situation, act totally differently? It's very. I found it very, very fascinating, right? And I, I was also fascinated by pain. When I mean fascinated, not like I enjoyed pain, but I, I, I was intrigued by how it's influenced, you know, people's reactions and how it ultimately determined the kinds of ways they manifested in life 
um, and I, I I was fascinated by the opportunity to to take away pain, mm-hmm. right? And I I wanted to see how I could be a part of the solution to the pain that people are experiencing in the world. I remember the first time I met an amazing gentleman called Larry Lushola, and he was telling me about the kinds of issues he was resolving. People were reaching out to him from all across the globe. And these were things that before now were considered normal. You know, you have that experience, you have to live with it, right? And I never understood that. That's one thing happens to you and just changes everything. And you have to live with it. I, I felt like human beings could rise above those circumstances and situations. And I was intrigued by the opportunity to be able to dig deeper to find those kinds of solutions. And I guess that that's what has led me to study how the mind works, you know, study human behavior and how that can be altered, you know, um, for, for, for positive change. So that's how I, you know, ventured in that direction. Okay. Um, with respect to my management consulting practice, um, how did it start? Maybe when I was in university, you know, um, my third year in university, a gentleman by the name Fela Jurutoy came to speak to us in school. And I, I'll never forget that experience because I was so fascinated by everything he said. I was not just fascinated by what he said. I was fascinated by him and whatever it was that he did and represented because you know, I felt like, you know, remember the story of Elizabeth and Mary? I felt like my baby leapt <laughs> in the presence of him. You know, I was a frustrated student studying biochemistry in the University of Lagos. I wanted to study medicine. I had absolutely no interest in the course I was studying. Um, but for the first time, I saw someone do something and I felt like this, this, is, this is the future of Bankole. So what exactly struck you about what was doing or fascinated you about it? Well, I think one was the passion. Okay. Right. He did it so, it was so obvious he enjoyed. He was so obvious that he was, he was big on the impact of, the impact his words had on people. It was tangible to touch. Mm-hmm. You know, you could tell that he genuinely wanted the hearers of his message to, to, to be impacted by his words. I could tell that. And, you know, passion is very palpable. It's very tangible. It's visible. You can see it. Um, so I think, I think that that was one thing that caught me. And, and um, you saw yourself doing that? And that that was what you wanted to do? Oh, yeah, definitely. I did. I did. Uh, it was so serious that I remember asking people, what does this guy do? And prior you know, then, you had never considered going into public speaking or consulting. Or, no, I didn't even know what consulting was like that. No. Okay. It was when I asked and then people told me, I was like, oh, okay. There's a career path <laughs> called consulting. And, okay. And I, I think that this is what I'm going to do because this guy just looks like a picture of my future. Mm. Right. So prior to that time, I wasn't... I knew that, you know, back then, pastors were speakers, you know, it didn't seem like there was a career for speakers. Sure. I didn't even know that there was. So, so the question was, were you going to be a pastor? I, I didn't see that as what, my, what, what the future held for me. But for once, I saw someone who, who, even though there were other speakers that I'd heard, but you know, when you find a reference that is a local reference, it's a lot different from when you're listening to a Zig Ziglar mm-hmm. or a Les Brown, you know, those guys. But I saw someone in Nigeria do it. And I heard that there was a career path called consulting. And I went to study about it and I found it interesting. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. When you say you studied about it, what did you do? So I started asking questions. Um, asking questions about management consulting and I that's when I found out about you know organizations like KPMG PwC let me tell you how intrigued I was um I KPMG at the time used to come to the University of Lagos to organize um tests right so they had a pool of people that they would just keep until you know you had finished your NYSE and everything 
And I still remember, you know, going in for that test, though I didn't pass. <laughs> Sorry, they made a mistake not to take me. <laughs> they missed out on a very big opportunity, right? Um, and I know how that significantly I was I was hurt, mm. right? Um, and then PWs, sorry, um, Philips Consulting. You know, I was, I wanted, I, and I think I'd been subtly influenced by Fela because in him sharing his story, he had worked in Philips Consulting. Okay. So you know how unconsciously certain people just say things and they influence you, you don't even recognize it. But I just wanted to, I, you know, I wanted to be like this guy. So this was the pathway then, you know, I better work in that organization. So I remember doing the Philips Consulting test, passed the first stage, the second stage, I felt I even did better than the first. I didn't get a call back. Oh. Right. Um, was um, this in your final year? Ye- yes, it was my final year. Okay. Yes. No, it was, I think I just graduated. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I was basically just looking for consulting jobs and um, a few banks intri- were intrigued me at the time. You know, okay. then, you know, banking was, seemed like a big deal. It was everybody's dream. You know, and there were specific organizations, banks that everybody wanted to work in. Guaranteed Trust Bank was one of them. You know, back then, banking initially, you know, there was the old generation banks that, you know, had customer service wasn't like a priority to them and all of that. And then, you know, it, there was a breath of fresh air that Guaranteed Trust Bank brought. There was another bank called Bond Bank, you know. I remember you get you walk in there and you see this the employees and you'd see the passion that they would exude and you just wanted to be like them. It was back then having a guaranteed trust bank checkbook was a thing you know it was a thing of pride to hold up. I'm serious. Interesting. As a student, it was a thing of pride. You have a guaranteed trust bank account. <laughs> You're a big deal. Ask anybody who at the time when GC Bank just came, you know, came to be. You could tell that the employees loved their job, okay. their jobs, and the way they carried themselves just made the average student want to be like them. So I said to myself, if, if there was any bank I wanted to work in, it was definitely Guaranteed Trust Bank. And that's where I ended up, mm. you know, getting my first job. So before the encounter with Fela in your third year, you had mentioned that you were studying biochemistry and you hated it. So at that point, what was going through your mind with regard to career? I was clueless. I was very, I just knew, just come out with a good degree. Okay. Come out with a 2-1. The least for me was just come out with a 2-1. That's, you know, back then, and, you know, think about it. For a number of people, you go to school, study any course, come out, you know, get any job, you know. But um, I wasn't... I thought, okay, maybe I'm, I may have practiced biochemistry, may, if I got a good offer. Um, but there were also the opportunities to work in the bank. Um, so it wasn't like I was clear as to what I wanted to do. I just felt like as, you know, as I proceeded, I would gain some measure of light. And that's really what happened. You know, that day this man spoke, the light bulb came on in my head and I knew that this is it for me. Yeah. Okay. okay. But it wasn't like you started speaking immediately or started asking for speaking engagement. No, no, no. Of, <laughs> co- of course not. Of course not. So like I said, I was, so I was, part, I was active in the fellowship that okay. I was in. Um, I was in House on the Rocks campus fellowship okay. called the Rock Foundation. Amazing, amazing place. One of, one of the best foundational experiences for me in life. Okay. Um, I, I, I would not be who I am today if I had not had that kind of a foundation the fellowship was known for, for bringing out people who are just resilient, who, who went after their passion. We're very, very big on talent. So there are a number of people who are successful today in different things that they do. But if you look, if you check back, you'd see that their foundation was the rock foundation mission, you know, in, in, in university, people like Aiki Osakyodua, T.Y. Bello, O.C.U. K.J., you know, you know, in a number of, you know, people who have gone on to be very successful in different things, they found their talents, their gifts, you know, um, whilst they were in school. So at the time, it, this is very, how interesting it was. I used to be part of a, a music group, a rap group 
right back in the day. So there was a phase in my life when I thought that that's, that was all I was really going to be doing with my life. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the group ended up becoming a popular rap group today called Rooftop MCs. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was part of Rooftop MCs. Well, for, Wow. And they later, <laughs> uh, later became two. Right. So there oh. were four of us. Um, used to be, so the group was called G-Force. Okay. So there were three guys and two girls. In fact, two of the people joined us much, you know. So I was part, I was, I was the foundation. We started the group, okay. you know, and then Lighton and Aisha joined us later on. Um, but at a point we had, you know, some of us had to leave. So, and I think that that's life for you. You know, you get to a point where you need to be able to evaluate whether something can exist in your future. And what happened was to the two guys who ended up starting or ended up transiting into rooftop MCs, um, Lito and Kunle. I'll never forget, we had a meeting one time and both of them had had conversations about their frustration with school. And they said, you know, they were going to drop out of school. Right. One was going to his second year. The other person was going to the third year. And that was a major wake up call for me. Like your guys are dropping out and they had decided I tried to convince them, you know, and they wanted to drop out primarily to just focus on music. So when that kind of thing happens, you know, you begin to ask yourself questions, which is what happened to me. And I thought to myself, Bankole, can you can you stake your education for this? You know, um, and it was a very difficult decision to make, you know, at least when I thought about what my father would do to me, right? They also had parents, but they didn't get cared less. So could it be that he didn't want music bad enough? Precisely. Okay. Precisely, right? Um, I, I thought I did, but it's moments like that that make you realize that, you know, maybe what you had thought was not really what it was. Um, so that, 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 you know, made me really rethink the decision to, to want to build a career in music. Um, and, you know, because they had ample time and myself and Aisha were still in school and were actively involved in our fellowship, you know, we, obviously we, it was obvious that we're going to grind to a halt because they, they had more time, more passion. You know, we didn't have as much time. So at a point, you know, both of us decided to leave, leave the group to focus on other things that seemingly were priority to us. Was it an easy decision for you to make then? Was it an easy decision? One of the hardest decisions to make. Well, it definitely wasn't an easy one. Um, it was hard because I'd invested a number of years, you know, from, I think this was my year one. In fact, from before I got into Unilag, I was <laughs> very interesting. I... I was a part of the fellowship before I got into school. Very weird experience. Yeah. Very, very weird. Myself and OC KJ, OC, who's an actor, right? Um, so we had started, we, we were a part of the music team of the fellowship. Okay. Right. And the music team then was a very big deal in Nigeria. They had released what I, call, what I called arguably the first contemporary hip hop gospel album hmm. in Nigeria. The, the group was called Rock Solid. And what I mean, it was, it was amazing. So I, I hadn't gotten into Unilag and you can imagine hearing students release an album that really shook the gospel space, gospel music space in the country. And these guys were students, right? Um, out of that group was where Kush broke out Kush um, that had Lara George, mm -hmm. T.Y. Bello, M.M. They were all in, in rock solid and they were the ones that released the album. So I remember I'd heard the album and I was intrigued. Like Nigerians can produce this and these people were students, right? And, and from before I got into like I had said, I'm going to join this group, right? I didn't know how it would happen. But I still remember Osi and I, we've been friends from, um, there's, there's, uh, there's a third friend of ours, Eric. We've been friends from when I when we were in federal government college, Lagos, Janiki. Okay. Right. And, you know, we used to hang out, you know, after when we had left secondary school in Festac Town. And I remember that there were two groups that were very big on Spirit of David, which was a dance team, and 
um, the Rock Foundation, which was House on the Rock's campus outreach. And somehow, some way, and that's, that one is another, another long mm-hmm. story, but somehow, some way, we go into the fellowship before we even got admission into Unilag. So we had, we had joined the music team, right? And, and from the music team, we now created the rap team, you know, the rap group called, you know, Rooftop MCs. And we were traveling, you know, to oh. different, oh yeah, we're being invited by different schools. We were a big deal then, right? Uh, even as students, you know, we even had a studio in New Hall where we used to do some recordings. And I still remember there are people who are today big in music. And I'm like, I remember, I, remember, I still remember the first time Sasha, who, well, I don't know what that is or used to be, or gospel, used to be, you know, very big rapper in Nigeria. I still remember the first time she came to the studio, you know, to do her recordings and stuff like that. Um, so I'd invested quite a bit of time you know, in it. So it was a difficult decision to make, but um, it just didn't seem like we were, we were, we were making headway as a group. Um, and like I said, I started began, beginning to see the importance of me going in the direction of, you know, being a speaker. Um, and I was more passionate about that. So yeah. the encounter with Falad happened before you left? Um Yes, it had. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you joined GTB. Yeah. And how did that journey go? Um, so I, I got my, I have a lot of interesting stories. You know, I got, um, I did a test to join Guarantee Trust Bank. I think this must have been somewhere around my final year. Okay. I wasn't supposed to have even been shortlisted because they were only testing people who had finished their NYNC. Oh. Right. But I, you know, I still remember they, they were sending people away for not having their NYNC certificates. Had you known that and you still applied or you didn't know? I, I think I knew, but I just... Okay, I just, give it a shot. I'll just give it a shot. And even when they were sending people away, I was still there. You know, I was like... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do this thing, you know. And I guess the lady just saw my 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 uh resilience, you know, and I remember there were only two of us, myself and one other lady that she allowed in. Okay. Another reason she said was, hey, because it was being done in Unilag, oh yeah, even a student of Unilag, and we're using your staff auditorium. Oh, the the others weren't. No, she was, okay. Well, Maybe somewhere, I really don't know, but I know okay. that I know that she asked just myself and that lady to just wait on the side while she sent every other person away. Okay. And then eventually she allowed us in. Um so I I got I I, I passed the test. Um they called me for an interview whilst I was serving, right? Um I I I came, I couldn't come at a specific time, they wanted me to come, but you know, they were like, you know, no, it's not a problem. You're in our pool. When you're ready, you can come, you know. So when I, I think it was when I was done with my NYSC, I got back. Oh, no, before I was I was done, I think I came back, did the interview. And as soon as I was done, you know, I, I had a job. I already had the offer. I had a job in in Guarantee Trust Bank. So so that's that's really how I joined. Okay. Yeah. Joined, joined the bank. I think he had um, then went to the training school. Mm-hmm. And then from there, how was the training school experience? Well, it was a great experience. Very three months of intensive training, you know, just learning about the banking industry, learning the ethics of, you know, the workplace, you know, how to be a high performance employee and all of that. I think that that's, that's one of the things that really stood Guarantee Trust Bank out from every other bank. At the time, the investments that he made in people whilst they were in the training school, right? Um, it was it was a really great experience. So, because I knew I wanted to be a consultant, I wanted to speak, but hey, I didn't get those opportunities. You know, like the first job I, I got was the guarantee trust bank job, and I didn't mind it. Um, even whilst I was in training school, I was still very deliberate about 
the departments that I wanted to work in. Okay. So whilst you're in training school, you know, you're writing exams, tests, all of those things. And they're telling you, hey, um, you know, you can be posted anywhere. You can be posted to the north, you know, to the east, you know, southwest, anywhere. Um, but I knew I wanted to be in Lagos and I knew that I wanted to be in the human resources department. And the reason was because that was the closest thing to consulting for me. I knew that they interfaced with consultants. So I, I just felt HR was, was, was it. So I recall, so two things. One was I was deliberate about ensuring that I finished because we were being graded, finished, finished with a very good grade because you know, I, I knew that you stand a good chance if you if if you excelled above all, all the other people. Um, then I knew that I needed to make an impression on, on the decision makers. So I would never forget the head of human resources of the bank came to address us. And I knew that this was somebody I needed to make an impression on. So she came and she was announcing the vacancies that existed in the bank. You know, and then she goes, and there's a vacancy for one person in HR. Now seated at the back. The minute I heard that, I screamed. I said, you say what? You know, and everybody was looking like, dude, why are you shouting? We all heard her, you know. And the woman looked at me intently and she said, I said there's a vacancy for one person, right, in human resources. I looked at her intently. I smiled confidently and I nodded my head appropriately. Right. <laughs> I like your use of the Right. And because I, 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 you know, life will always present you with pockets of opportunity. And those pockets of opportunity sometimes could be so, so tiny a window. But you just have to know how to capitalize on on that moment, and it, it's not like I, it's not like I, I I just knew that this this is a moment you can't afford to miss out on this. So it was very unconscious. That's to tell you how I had been I had been prepping for this mm. moment. So so when she said that. Obviously, I couldn't really, it wasn't like she asked me because I couldn't really talk, but I just knew I needed to make an impression. And what I found out, because I ended up being um, taken to HR, when I got there, I was curious to know, why did you guys pick me? There were 30 of us in school, you know, in training school. And I recall that a guy who I'd worked with at the time, Larry, had said that, you know, that the head of HR came to training school and she came back to the office asking about me. Uh, you know, and she was like, who is that guy? You know, so they took my name and obviously I didn't even know they were observing me from that point, you know. Um, but the point is I got her attention, right? And and I think that that is, that is something about life. And it wasn't you exactly know? that you were forward about it saying that um, I'm the one that would get the position. No, it was just I by... The exclamation you did yeah. and nodding your head. Exactly. Staring intently at her face. Yeah. It just communicated interest. It communicated to her that this guy is interested in HR. This guy seems to be passionate about it. Right. Because that, you know, I smiled. I nodded my head. I, like oh. you said, what? You know, I, I just, just in case you are scouting, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Right? And my results also, you know, because like I said, they were observing me. So, if it was, if it was just purely by, if it was that my behavior wasn't great enough, I, I'm sure they wouldn't have said just because, you mm. know, I, I, I indicated interest that, that would be the reason for them taking me, you know, but every other thing seems to seem to match the interest that I showed. So okay. I, I guess that, that was the reason for the consideration. Okay. So Bankole looked intently, smiled confidently, nodded his head appropriately and he joined the HR team at Guarantee Trust Bank. What happened at Guarantee Trust Bank and how did the experience lead him to where he is today? Find out after this short break. I'm Oshaya and you're listening to Origins Africa podcast. Hi, dear listener. 
If you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and Apple Podcast. You can also send us a tweet or comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. We love to read from you. Nope, not later. Yes, I read your mind. Do it now. Thanks a lot. Also, click the subscribe button and share with a friend. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Catch our one-to-one newsletter where we share with you one lesson, two quotes, and one question from each episode published. You'll find it at originsafrica.substack.com originsafrica.substack.com If you like it, please click the like button, leave a comment, share with a friend, and subscribe. Also, you can now watch video snippets of some of our guest interviews. Simply go to Origins Africa Podcast on YouTube, Origins Africa Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like our videos, and share. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Hi guys, welcome back to Origins Africa Podcast. So Bankoli, after his light bulb encounter with fella Durotwe, decided to pursue a management consulting career. He had applied to a few consulting companies, but life had other plans. Life took him to Guarantee Trust Bank, where he joined the Human Resources Department. How was the experience for Bankoli? It was it was great. Um, I, I really loved I loved the time I worked in HR in the bank. It was a it was a time to learn. I learned a whole lot in that season. Um, I met amazing people. Some of those people are, are my f- are my friends today. Um, what what were you doing there whilst you were there in HR? Okay, so I, I was in uh, the first unit I was in was the welfare and compensations team. Okay. So. Uh, I, I was in charge of paying salaries for trainees at the point, you know, said paying salaries for staff, you know, and just welfare and compensations. And at some point, I, I was I was moved to the training um, department. Did you push for this? Because I was about to ask if whilst you were doing the welfare and compensation bit, um, I mean, you wanted to be a speaker, going to consulting, and then you had yeah. welfare benefits. If it got boring and you wanted to, yeah. So it was. I, yeah, and, and it's important to have people who see in you what you don't see in yourself. So I guess my boss, the head of HR had facilitated it. She had a thing for rotating people anyways. So I was interested, but I wasn't pushing, to okay. be very honest. Right. Um, but but she, she saw the opportunity for me to learn and be there. Right. I, I think that why it didn't really get my attention as it should have was because a lot that it did was very operational, very administrative. Um, I wanted to talk. <laughs> so they were more, they were the ones organizing and bringing in the speakers and the yeah. trainers, not like they were the ones delivering the yeah, trainers. Precisely, okay. precisely, precisely. Um, well, hey, I, I didn't mind. It was an opportunity to even, you know, get to meet some of the consultants, interact with them and all okay. that. So that those were the those were the moments that I really enjoyed and I loved. Right. Um, I, I remember interacting with some of the consultants, um, the, the couple. I, I'll never forget them. I was shortly set for their training and I sat in that class and I just thought how amazing it must be to 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 be doing what it is that you're doing. Um um, Mr. Body or Olutumbi, I can you know I can never forget him, um, and I kept communicating with him because I just I told him that I love this thing you're doing, I'd love to do it, you know, and he just provided some some sort of mentorship and guidance to me at the time. Um, at that point, had you had you started speaking at one or two places yet, or you hadn't? Beautiful question. So yes, uh, so. When I was serving, right, um, I, I, I happened upon <laughs> a youth group. <laughs> like I said, I have a lot of stories. But a youth group okay. right, called YWAP, right, okay. in Kaduna. So youth that's in Kaduna. Yes, I said okay. in Kaduna. It's, it's called Youth with a Purpose. Okay. Right. So it was a Christian youth group 
they used to meet, um, I think it was every Wednesdays, right? And it was very unorthodox, very, you know, it was very liberal. You know, there was no, the meetings were so open, you know, and unscripted. A group of young people would gather and anybody could share. Okay. And anyone, if you had anything, you know, anybody could share. So it it gave me the opportunity to express some of my thoughts, you know, and see how people reacted. And, you know, the more I did, the more people deferred to what it was I was saying. How's the first experience? And In, what the uh, first speaking and experience there, what did you talk about and how did you feel afterwards? I, I, honestly, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and like Great. I said, it was very, so it was... It was very convert like we're having a conversation. It was very conversational. Okay. It wasn't anything. Not like a, maybe a formal speaking at all. At all. We were were that chilled about it. Right. Um, um, and like I said, I happened upon it wasn't I wasn't I was going when I went to Kaduna, I wanted to start a a Christian club. Oh, okay. Right. I've like I said, I've I've, I've been intrigued by a number of things. I wanted to start a Christian club. Um, I had a friend who had done something like that. Very good friend of mine wearing um, the fellowship in Unilag together. Okay. You know, um, Shippe, he used, at the time, it was called Club David. It was the first and biggest, you know, contemporary Christian club. So it, the idea was, you know, no alcohol, clean music, Fun uh-huh. games, board games, outdoor games, you know, just socializing that was, okay. that was just clean, right? And it was really great, you know, we'd done stuff. I remember the first one was at Swiss Sensation. Next one was, at, I think, Fantasyland. And we, there were crowds of people that would come, you know. So I, I thought to myself, hey, I could do this in Kaduna also. You didn't want to serve in Lagos? I wanted to, but <laughs> I served at the time of a DG that's uh, they said to change your posting was like passing through the eye of a needle. <laughs> I'm serious. It was that bad. Okay. It was so, it was difficult. The gist was that he used to go to the computer room to scatter. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that was the general gist. You know, now it's a lot easier. Then it was difficult. Okay. It was very difficult. So I wanted to, it didn't work out. I was posted to, like I said, I have wonderful stories. <laughs> I was posted to, I was, so when I was on camp, three weeks period, you know, that's when people are pushing buttons to ensure sure. they get good posting. Uh-huh. I was so aloof, you know, eventually, you know, on the day they announced posting, I was posted to Saminaka, almost three hours from town, okay. a village. But before I came to Kaduna, I had that vision starting a Christian club. There was no way it was going to happen in a village, right? So I made sure I was rejected. You know, I was rejected several times. I didn't get my my NYC pay for, I think, about two months because I was just coasting. And I was coasting. That was one of my... I had learned a, a lot about faith, but I can't... I, I, I have very, very vivid recollections of me deliberately deciding to practice faith through that experience. I remember well. And I remember it because I had decided that the outcome was that I was going to be posted to Kaduna Town. And in as much as I had been rejected several times, and posted from one village to another village, right? Because what it was so bad that it said that, you know, you couldn't be, you couldn't be posted out of your zone, so to speak. But I was I was adamant that you know this is what I want. Yeah, you know, I, was, I wasn't getting my pay anyways, and um, I remember that somebody had introduced me to someone who gave me a note. I took the note to the zonal inspector right or coordinator you know went to the office I, I still remember very well the lady saw my name looked at me and she said so you are the Ankali oh. Williams apparently several people had come to her with my name and she had turned it down and, and she, oh. she remembered that name okay you know 
And there I was in front of her and then she flung the paper right in my face, like, you know, just get out of here, right? And I took the paper and I just stood at the door. So yeah. <laughs> so, you leave. You walk out of his And I just stood there, you know, because I was not going back. I had the, mm. this thing was going to change. I stood there for a couple of hours and I guess, you know, God must have touched her heart. You know, and she was like, you know, just, just come here. And she goes, do you have a place that is willing to take you? Right. And I, 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 I remember dri- not driving. I was in a bus and the bus was going past command secondary school. And something, you know, I just felt a nudge that, you know, you should, you should go in there and, and you know, make inquiries. So I came out of the, in fact, I, I had to tell the bus driver to stop, came out, walked in. As soon as I walked in, I met an old friend from, from camp. I'm like, ah, oh, fantastic. You're, you work here. She introduced me to the, um, to the commandant who told me they didn't have any vacancies. I was like, this guy doesn't, he hasn't gotten the memo. <laughs> I left him, went to meet because he was also the, the vice principals. Um, the first vice principal said there were no openings. I went to meet the second one. Second one said there were no openings. She said, but she remembers that the home economics teacher said he needed somebody. Well, obviously it had to be female. Mm-hmm. And I said, I studied biochemistry. An aspect of my course is nutrition. <laughs> I, I, I just watched it, right? Um, um, and, and they didn't have an opening. You know, I went to meet the home economics teacher. She said, the only females that come here. I said, I don't mind, you know. Um, and the commandant had told me that, hey, even if they take me, one div, one div is a division of the military that used to pay then. So my, I think my copper salary was maybe two thousand eight hundred. Okay. Then, one div was paying six thousand. Okay. And he had told me that if I decide to come, that's if they even consider taking me, that one div was not going to pay me six thousand naira. So I was going to be forfeiting that. In my mind, when I was talking, I knew I was done for fitting it, but I was just like, eh, okay, I, Let me because just I have to be in town. Okay. Right. So at the time when the lady called, the zonal coordinator called me and said, do you have a place that's willing to take you? So it wasn't like I was very clear. I just said, command. He said to me, if they reject you, just know this is the end of your service. There's no, oh. you know, I said, yeah, you know, command, command will take me. Right. So she posted me to command. I took the letter, went there. They said this whole one division, something, something. They paid me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's how I met YWAP. Um, and when I moved to Lagos, when I came back to Lagos, we had decided that we wanted to start YWAP in Lagos. Okay. Right. And we used to meet every Sundays. Okay. And that was that was my training ground. Right. So I was the assistant coordinator for Lagos. And, you know, we used to have like, uh, we, you know, we used to share from time to time. So it was every Sunday was little, little did I know that that was a preparatory ground for me to, to really perfect, you know, or improve on this act of speaking and impacting and empowering people. Right. So whilst I was still working in the bank, I still had that opportunity there to do, to do, to do what I loved. I'm curious how the experiences were. Were there days you felt like maybe speaking isn't for me? Or was it all validating experiences you had? I wasn't. I've had had really bad experiences too, you know. Um, I think my, I think desire is such a powerful, powerful thing. Okay. And I wasn't a, at the point when I started, I wasn't a great speaker. I wasn't, I just desired it. So all that time I heard Fela and all of that, it wasn't, I was a very quiet, very quiet person. But something on the inside of me always got excited when I heard people speak and speak well. I believe that desire is a seed of greatness. It's 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 a, it's it's an indicator of what 
the future holds, right? Of possibilities. And that's really what what it was for me. I wasn't a phenomenal or a great speaker. The more I did it, the better, the, the better I got at it. And even when I thought I was really good at it, there were times I'd also spoken in different places, or maybe not a lot of places, but a few places where I felt I could have done better. One or two instances, I, I was I literally embarrassed myself, right? Um, um, but hey, you know, you fall, you have to pick yourself back up. Um, I, I remember one in particular, I, I was... I I say I yanked dust. I said rub rubbish. What happened? It was uh, it was horrible. <laughs> you know, I was asked a question, and you know when they're asking you a question, and you don't know the answer. You know oh. that you don't know the answer, but you know you have to ask. You know, you have to say something, and I just blabbed and went blank. So this was once. after you had given the presentation. Then you stand for questions. No, 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 no. It was everything was Q and A. Oh, okay. Right. Everything, the entire thing was Q&A and they directed a question to me and I didn't know, you know, I didn't, I, and I've learned now, I didn't know, the answer will always come. If you are confident, that it will come. But at the point when it was being asked, I was not confident that it will come. So I, I, I started by yanning dust, blabbed and just, just went blank. I didn't make, there was, my, my statements were very incoherent mm. and I knew. Mm. And you know, one, you can know. The second thing is you can look at the faces of the people and their faces can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but okay. like, dude, um, yeah, I'm feeling embarrassed even on your behalf. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that, that happened. Um, for some other person could have just, being a major discouragement. Yeah, a major discouragement. You could have just said, you know, this is this is not for me, but I but had to give it to speaking. Now not um being in a panel and ask and answering questions, but this time yet spoken and maybe delivered a training and a presentation and you left feeling that oh, maybe yeah, this one, isn't for me. I remember one one instance that was that was horrible, right? Um at my the earlier stages of me speaking, um, I had been invited to the so I'd been invited to a youth to the University of Lagos, right, to speak. There was a crowd. It was um, their 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 sports auditorium, right. And I think it was you know now I know better. I think it was the wrong. So it was a concert. Okay. Right, and they now wanted to infuse uh, a speaking, a motivational session in between it. Okay. So, so now with the benefit of hindsight, right, knowing what I know, I'll, whatever environments put me in, I'll be able to, you know, captivate the audience. But with the, at the time, I didn't know as much, um, and like I said, it was a concert in in. In school, they wanted to see the the banjis and all of that, and then you now bring this young person up on stage to come and motivate people. Now, there's something about students, and it's, it's, it's the power of the mob when there's a crowd. If one person just starts chanting something, sure, right, everybody just don't tell me just with you. I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> it was well, it wasn't so. It, yeah, they did actually, to be very honest. Right. So I from I just started talking and it was like someone shouted, uh, we want music or something, you know. Oh. Right. And another person just carries it and they're like, you know, and I'm speaking. <laughs> and I just knew. Thankfully, I just knew that, dude, you need to wrap up mm. as quickly as possible and and leave. Some people were paying attention, but you know, just that whole distraction of people wanting music and then you're bringing motivation in the middle of it, right, was 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 a bit of, of a challenge or a problem. You know, so you can imagine, you know, you're just fresh. I want to be a speaker. And then you're drops you there and it just feels like, you know, you're being rejected in the moment. Um, 
So I've had I've had those experiences. As you left, how did you feel? Uh, horrible, was, obviously. What's uh, going through your mind? Like, like, why in heaven's name did I agree to do this? Okay. Right? Um, I should have known better. You know, that's how I felt at the time. Um, so it wasn't that you weren't, maybe you shouldn't consider speaking as a carrier. It was that it was the wrong occasion or the wrong event you had accepted well, to speak so, at. So there were a number of thoughts that were flying through my mind. One was, the initial reaction is you tend to judge yourself and think, maybe I'm just not good enough, right? So obviously those those thoughts, you know, were in my head. I, I, I guess that unconsciously, I had learned how to give meaning to events so that I am empowered to continue on the right path. Okay. Right. Um, so, so some of the things that I said were the meanings that I gave to the event that, well, it was just, it wasn't about, I had to give my, give that meaning. It wasn't about me. It was just the right person you know, on the wrong stage, if you get what I mean. Um, and I had to, I had to choose that interpretation so that I, I wouldn't okay. be disempowered on the path that I knew that I was supposed to be on. Right. Some other person would have just, you know, you know, given up on it. But I guess the desire to do it was stronger than whatever obstacles that I faced. It, it didn't mean I was easy, you know handling the obstacles, but um, I, I guess the, the the possibilities that existed for me in the future were were a stronger pool than than whatever you know challenge or obstacle that I was facing at the time. Okay, okay. let's go back to Guarantee Trust Bank. Um, then you moved to training department. Um, how long were you there for um, before you decided it was time to leave? So I was. Uh, I, I, I was in GT Bank for about four years, slightly over four years, right? Um, and it's a series of ex- a number of things happened that were tipping points for me. Um, one was a time that my boss had told me to go. <clears throat> like I said, we're very administrative in the way we functioned. So um, he had told me to go to the training school to supervise, to see if there were any issues or challenges with the trainings that were happening. I still remember that I was even going there reluctantly, you know, went all the way to training school in, in Lupejo. And um, the minute I got there, it was, it was I think, lunchtime. So the participants had just come out of class and they saw me and usually they would always give feedback to HR. So they saw me and they walked up to me and they were like, man, Bankoli, where did we get that guy from? You know, that, that had just finished training them. You know, I'm like, guys, oh, one of our consultants and the, the, the reviews were incredible. Oh, he's changed our lives. Oh, it's been the best training I've experienced and everything. And right in that moment, I felt, Bankoli, people should be talking about you this way, mm. right? This guy is living my future. So I was very humble about this, you know, you know, I, 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 I don't think I'd interacted with him before that time, you know, but I walked into the room, I saw him and today is a very good friend of mine, Steve Harris, you know, and I, I told him, gave him the feedback, said, man, really amazing work you're doing. You know, people have been raving about it. And I opened up to him. I said, man, this thing you're doing, I love it, man. I really wish I could build a career in it. And that's how, you know, we started interacting, you know, that's how we started, you know, building a, a friendship from that point. At the time, he was heading the consulting team with Fela's company, Fela Dorito's company, Visible Impact. Uh, so that was one, one experience. The second one is um, YWAP, the youth group I spoke about. Um, we used to have camp meetings every year, sometime around August. So I'd travel to Kaduna or sometimes Abuja, you know, and, and would have would have these spiritual events, gatherings and all. And I recall that in one of those gatherings, I had begun to sense that it was time to leave my job. But I just wanted God to, I wanted clarity, you know. And at the camp, I remember that 
I, I got a very, very clear instruction that it was time to leave, right? Not only did I know it was time to leave, I knew when. I knew ahead of time that December 31, 20, 2009 was going to be my last day, right? Um, when you say you got a clear instruction, could you talk yeah, more? Yeah, I have a relationship with God and God speaks to me, uh-huh. right? Um, so I'll tell you one other thing that happened. There's, there's, there's one member of the, of the group who, she has a peculiar gift of prophecy, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, and she had walked up to me and mentioned it, right? Please note that I had begun to sense it. So this is not me just listening to somebody and just obeying what they said. No, I had begun to sense. I had a prayer list, a list of things I was praying for. This was the first thing on my prayer list, clarity on the decision as to whether it was time to leave banking. Okay. And coincidentally, one random person who doesn't know anything about, you know, my plans, my, you know, mentions this, right? Um, but beyond that, within the camp, I knew, you know, I'd, I'd heard in my heart that it was time, okay. right? And like I said, I knew the day. So this was God telling me that the end, by the end of this year, you should... You're leaving. And, what, and this was August, and you knew by December. Yes. You'd believe it. Yes. Okay. Now, prior to August, I had begun to sense it. I wasn't clear. A few things had happened. Um, for the first time in my career, I had not been promoted. Um, and my boss had told me, um, she had told me that the only reason she didn't promote me is she just needs me to know that it's not every year you get it. Right. <laughs> And I walked, I approached her like four times. Same thing. I just want you to know it's not every year. You get it, you know. And I recall that one time I'd left her office thinking, I, I can imagine how it must feel to be in her shoes, to be this powerful, you know, to be the head of HR. And the minute I, I thought that thought, I rejected it almost immediately. And I was wondering, why, why am I resisting a, a path the a destination that I am on. Mm. If I continued on my path, I was sometime going to become the head of HR somewhere. But all of a sudden, that position seemed so unattractive to me. And then I thought to myself, why are you on a path for which you do not desire the end? Right? And I realized that I had been climbing a ladder that possibly had been placed on the wrong wall. Mm. You know, because I was not, you know, you're climbing a ladder, you want to get to top. I, I, but you I had knew you were no, interested in becoming yeah, the head of HR. Yeah. So I guess it was, it was, a, it was a moment of, of introspection for me. Like, okay, so how long are you going to continue this way? So I started, you know, really just really processing and thinking and saying to myself, you know, if you can't, because I was doing very well and I knew, I knew that if I continued, I was one of the guys who people looked at and they just thought this guy has a future in this organization. If I knew that, I knew that I'll keep getting promoted, I'll keep rising and it will be a lot harder you know, by the time you start introducing some nice pecs to the job, it would be a lot harder to leave. And I didn't want to be in that position. So I just felt, you know, you're young, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You come back to beg for your job. You know, I just thought this is the time to make some kinds of seemingly drastic decisions. I left at the time when it didn't make sense to people to leave. I left in the peak of the economic recession, right? I don't think there's been a time in the history of banking where banks laid off like they did at the time. A lot of banks were laying off. My bank was the only bank that wasn't laying people off. And yet I laid myself off, Uh right? Um, So people thought I lost my mind. Like, there are people praying for this job that you want, but... I just knew it was time. I knew. Bangkole felt it was time. So he laid himself off. What happened next? What were the challenges that shaped who he's become today? Find out next week on Origins Africa podcast. 
Thank you for listening to our show this week. If you liked it, do leave us a review, a comment, and share with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend and to tell another friend. We would also love to read from you. So please, do send us a tweet or leave a comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. You can also write to us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, do subscribe at wherever you get your podcast. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, amongst others. Catch our one-to-one newsletter where we share with you one lesson, two quotes, and one question from each episode published. You'll find it at originsafrica.substack.com originsafrica.substack.com And of course, if you like it, please click the like button, leave a comment, share with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa Podcast. Bye for now. My father told me life is not a bitter road.